Wouldn't it be great if you could earn the CEUs you need by listening to a podcast? Well, now you can. We have partnered with speechpathology.com to offer CEUs on select autism outreach podcasts like this one. Just head over to speechpathology.com and sign up to enjoy unlimited access for a full year for $99. That's unlimited 24-7 access to hundreds of online courses offered for ASHA CEUs, including live webinars, on-demand videos, audio, and text courses, plus select autism outreach podcasts for just $99 a year. Finally, earning CEUs is as easy and stress-free as listening to your favorite podcast. Just visit speechpathology.com and use promo code AUTISM at checkout. That's speechpathology.com, promo code AUTISM to get started today. I had the best conversation with Lori Frost. Lori Frost is a speech-language pathologist. She is the vice president and co-founder of Pyramid Educational Consultants, Inc., and she is the driving force behind the Picture Exchange Communication System, or as we usually know it, PECS. And she's the co-author of the PECS Training Manual, Second Edition, Autism 24-7, and A Picture's Worth. She has a background in functional communication training and ABA, And Ms. Frost has traveled the world teaching workshops on PECs and the pyramid approach to education and lectures on autism and communication. We had such a great conversation today. I love getting to know Lori better. She started out as a school-based speech therapist and she worked alongside Dr. Andy Bondi and she learned about applied behavior analysis. She tells a story basically about how PEC started, which I thought was absolutely fascinating from a speech standpoint and also from a business standpoint. But she talks about students that she was working with in an autism-specific program, and they were having trouble starting to communicate. And she talks through what they collaborated on and what she tried in therapy and how she was utilizing this system for many, many years as a school-based therapist. And now PECS helps so many students. It's really fascinating to hear all about PECS, how to start with communication initiation as our initial goal. So if you're working with students and they're not yet communicating and you're thinking, how can I help this student start communicating? We also talk on if you have a student who's working with PECS and they're ready to start using an iPad or another type of higher tech device, we talk about what does that transition look like? So this is such a great episode, guys. Let's get started. You're listening to Autism Outreach Podcast, a podcast full of ready-to-use strategies to help those with autism strengthen their communication skills. Here's your host, Rose Griffin of ABA Speech, a speech therapist and board-certified behavior analyst who shares tips you can use in your next therapy session. Thanks for joining us on episode 25 of the Autism Outreach Podcast. My name is Rose Griffin. I am here to help you learn strategies you can use in your therapy sessions tomorrow to help your students. Today, we have with us Lori Frost. Thanks for joining us, Lori. Thanks a lot for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. It's so nice to have you on. I think a lot of people tuning in will probably know you, know about uh, what you've contributed to the field, which is absolutely amazing. I'm super excited to have you on and hear all about it. But can you tell us a little bit about you and your journey? Okay. I'm a speech-language pathologist, and I always clarify that a little bit and qualify it with telling people I, I consider myself to be a traditionally trained speech pathologist. And 
I've been practicing now for coming up on 40 years. And it's been very interesting watching the evolution of the the field of speech pathology. Most of my work has been in the public schools. I've done direct services in the public schools. And that's kind of my passion is preschool, elementary age children in public school settings. And I started out in the public schools in North Carolina doing pullout services for kids with cerebral palsy, children. And this was in the early 80s, and we didn't really have a lot of diagnoses of autism. But from there, I started moving around the country. And when I landed in Delaware, I went to work in the Delaware Autism Program, which is where I met Dr. Andy Bondi, and started learning about applied behavior analysis. And it changed my practice. It started making me think about the things that I'm doing that are leading to poor outcomes or the things that I'm doing that are leading to good outcomes. And what was a blessing about working there was all of the speech pathologists were working in the classrooms. We didn't have therapy rooms. We didn't, we didn't even, we, all 12 of us run a trailer. So we did all of our work in the classrooms. And it was really nice to be in the classrooms during the day and spend several hours in each classroom and watch how language is something that should be happening all day, every day. And it was a learning experience for me also to be able to say, I'm not the only one who can teach language. I'm not the only one who can expect language. So our goal as speech pathologists was to work with the rest of the team on how to create language opportunities and how to teach language and communication. That's been That's where I did most of my direct services. And it was at the Delaware Autism Program that Andy and I were working with a little boy who I'd struggled with. He was a non-speaking child, a lot of challenging behaviors. And I had tried speech imitation with him, got nowhere after several months, tried sign language. His fine motor skills were really, really difficult for sign language. I tried picture point systems with him. And Andy and I were working with him one day. And the first thing we realized was I had a picture display that had four pictures on it, four things that represented things he wanted. He could not point. He would slap the whole board. And if I misinterpreted which picture he was hitting, a lot of those challenging behaviors came out. So the first thing Andy and I did was right this very moment, we can determine with a quick preference assessment what he wants. And that's the one picture we're going to present to him. So I cut the four pictures off the board. There were no then there was no opportunity for error then for discrimination error. And trial by trial, what I did was a quick preference assessment, figured out what he wanted at this moment in time, presented that one picture. We continued to have problems with him touching the picture. So that's when we realized, well, we should have him pick up the picture and put it into a communication partner's hand, thus doing something very overtly to a communication partner. That was the beginning of PEX. Wow. I'm like, oh man, this is so exciting. I love to hear I love to hear about the beginning of it. It's so cool. So tell me, Dr. Andy Bondi, he was what capacity was he working? So you were a school-based therapist and you were working yes. within a public school program that seems like it was geared for autistic students. So what yes. capacity was he working in that school district? I'm just curious. Was he a consultant? When, I, he- first, yeah, when I first met um, Andy, he was functioning as a school psychologist slash behavior analyst. There was no BCBA, BACB in the early 80s. But in the first few months, he, the director of the program left and Andy took over the role of statewide director for children in the public schools with autism. And the statewide program is 
kind of unique to Delaware in that they serve any child who's been diagnosed and they serve them all in the public school setting with anywhere from self-contained classrooms to fully included. Okay. Oh, wow. So that's so interesting. So would he come and kind of act as almost like a consultant or you were kind of bouncing ideas off him for this one student and you guys were kind of collaborating and working together? Yeah, both, both. And what was unique about Andy as a director was he did spend a lot of time in the classrooms. Wow. So it was really nice to be able to, he was my introduction to applied behavior analysis. So it was really nice to be able to hear about what we could do to influence and impact children's behavior from that kind of standpoint. And I love how you talked about, because I talk about that a lot in my training, is that either asking the student or kind of, you know, in your mind, you're the detective and you're saying, what are you into today? Or what are you in for this moment that you think would be fun, that you think would be reinforcing and motivating? Because sometimes students, and I have worked with students like that too. I love that story and just how this all started. It's absolutely amazing to hear because it's helping so many people worldwide too, is that, you know, it's hard sometimes for students, for us to know what does a student love and enjoy, especially especially if that student is very limited in what they really love and enjoy. So we have to kind of be these detectives to see, you know, what they really like. So that's so interesting. So you had this one student and then that kind of, um, where did you kind of go from there? I'm just kind of curious as, you know, how did you guys really collaborate together then and kind of start PECs? I mean, it's absolutely amazing what you guys have contributed Um, to the field. We we started with that basic idea with all of my kids who were struggling with speech imitation. One of the nice things about the Delaware Autism Program was they were committed to community-based instruction, even for the two-year-olds. So our, our issue with sign language was we were teaching these children to interact with clerk stores, people at parks. And so sign language was problematic from the perspective of their limitations from their communication partners. So we started trying this picture exchange is what we were calling it with all of the kids who were not talking when they entered the program. And over time, the kids taught us what the next step in the protocol was going to be. So this little boy, once he very quickly learned, I all I have to do is put a picture in your hand and I get my favorite thing in the whole world. From there, we then systematically taught him how to discriminate between pictures. And once he was discriminating between a variety of pictures, then my the developmental speech pathologist in me said, well, now we got to start teaching them two-word utterances. So we started building sentence structure with the pictures, and that evolved into our six phases of the PECS protocol. Wow. Yeah, that's so interesting. So you were really working with this, I mean, many students, but you were trialing this in your own practice. That's so fascinating and so cool that you've been able to then be able to help so many people with this picture exchange system. And I know you guys have just trained. So in what year did you officially start PECS then? Um, We started our company in 1992. Pyramid Educational Consultants. I was then working in the New Jersey public schools and Andy was still in Delaware. And it was not for another five or six years that we both went full-time with Pyramid Educational Consultants. Oh, interesting. So, okay. That's yeah. very, very, I'm, I'm interested from a business standpoint, I'm very interested too. I So I work three days a week in a public school. I'm a public school speech therapist. And then two days a week, I have my own practice where I do all kinds of things. But I, I have two physical products that I sell, the Action Builder Cards and the Double Up Game, which is geared towards older students. But it's been really cool because out of a need, you know, I have created these products 
products where you're working with students and you're like, oh, I don't have anything and I know this is exactly what I need. And then once I kind of got the idea for the first product, it's easier to make subsequent things because you kind of understand how it works. But it's cool to be actually in the trenches, trying these things, seeing like, oh, there's nothing in the marketplace like this. And I want to be able to help people. So that's interesting that that it was you're still kind of working, doing the business, and then you decided to go. And now it's just amazing. I was on your website when I was like kind of looking up a little bit more. I obviously know PEX. And I was actually... I talked to Andy a little bit. I'm part of Matt Sicoria from the Behavioral Observations podcast. He has this like membership that I'm a part of. And he always has these amazing people that come on. And, and, and Andy was one of them for these Zoom meetings. But um, you guys have locations in, in multiple countries. And can you just tell us a little bit about that kind of global reach you have? And um, it's really fascinating, Lori. The very first time I left the United States was in 92. And Andy and I had met a woman from Lima, Peru. We met her at an ABA, ABAI oh. conference. Mm-hmm. And she asked us to come talk to her staff. So we got on an airplane and went to Lima, Peru. And that's kind of started the global outreach. And it was from word of mouth or from some of our early publications that we started. The next trip we took was to Canada. And after that, we went to England. And what started happening was so much... Uh, so many requests for training and consulting that we eventually said, well, we've got to open up shop somewhere. So the first place we expanded to, the first two countries were Canada and the UK, quite frankly, because there was no language barrier. Mm -hmm. So over the years now, we've expanded to offices in 15 countries. The PEX manual now is available in 16 languages. And this last 15 months, the longest Andy and I have spent in 30 years at home. Yes, right. Yeah, I'm sure. So yeah. We're wow. normally on the road about 120 days a year, usually outside the U.S. Oh, wow. Yeah, you can just reach. I think that's what's so interesting about the global reach, which I just like am just scratching the surface. But I always I do some parent consultations and do some professional mentorship for speech therapists that live in different countries. And mm-hmm. I always think it's very fascinating to be able to help people because the systems are just so different. Like every country yeah. is just so very different from not having speech therapists that are maybe trained in helping autistic students in a specialized way to, you know, I did some parent consultations in Dubai where they have ABA centers and, you know, registered behavioral technicians where I'm just working alongside the BCBA. So it's very different. It's it's neat that you can help in such a specialized way. And now with, you know, Zoom and everything, there's so many ways to connect with so many people. Yeah. So I think probably this next year is going to be another hybrid year, right? Where we're doing yeah. a little bit of both. But that's so amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. So I know today we're going to talk about uh, uh, PECs and initiation of communication and things like that. So you know, we have a, a mix of professionals and parents that listen to the podcast. So could you tell us a little bit about, you know, communication initiation as kind of that initial goal when we're working with students? I think that's so important. I talk about that a lot in my training for future BCBAs and speech therapists. I have this saying yes. that kind of the man stands alone, meaning that, you know, we want it to be something that's specific to the learner's motivation and desires and things like that. So can you talk to us a little bit about that topic? Um I had a long history of always going first in any interaction with a child that I was doing therapy with. And it just seemed to make sense. I'm the, I'm the leader in this interaction. I'm here to teach you. So I'm going to start off with asking you questions. So if we were doing 
a picture naming task or an object naming task, I usually started with, what is this? If it was requesting, I usually started with, what do you want? And it was the kids in the autism program in Delaware who really taught me that they're going to learn the lesson I teach, not the lesson I hope that they learn. So these were the kids who really made me start being aware of, what am I doing before their behavior? What am I doing after their behavior that's influencing the next behavior? And it was Andy pointing out to me, you know, every time you want him to use this picture, you're saying, what do you want? Or you're saying something as outrageous as give me the picture. And then you're wondering why he's not spontaneous on the next on the next opportunity. So it was, again, this journey of learning about applied behavior analysis that really started making me think about my long-term goal for these kids is to be as independent as possible. And independence is only possible if you initiate. You initiate social interactions, you initiate language, you initiate game playing. So we developed the PEX protocol with the intent being the very first skill is going to be a spontaneous request or a self-initiated request. So we developed the prompting strategies that involve what we call the two-person prompt procedure. I was a sloppy trainer initially, as I've said. So if I was the one wanting the child to put the picture into my hand, sometimes I would hold out my hand. Sometimes I would say, give me the picture. And it was when Andy and I were working together with several kids, one of us was usually sitting behind the child. And that's when we decided communication partner is just easier if they stay out of this Mm -hmm. before the behavior. Right. And we'll have the physical prompter or the person sitting behind the child who will guide the child once he sees what's available for him, once he's indicated an interest in it, the, p- the person behind the child will help him to pick up the picture and put it into the communication partner's hand. Mm-hmm. And right away, that was another huge light bulb moment for me because the person behind the child wasn't part of the social interaction. And it was very easy for them to systematically quit guiding the child to put the picture into my hand. So that's where we came with what, uh, with what we call the two-person prompt procedure that will teach initiation. And I've now used that with speaking kids too. If I have a child who can imitate words, I'll have someone stand behind the child to whisper the word or whisper the phrase. And to me, it's just so much easier than to un- instruct other people who are communication partners on how to wait for the verbal behavior and then reinforce the verbal behavior without being part of the prompting. Yeah, that's such a great idea because I think a lot of times, and you know, I I picked up that gem from Dr. Carbone as far as, you know, working on manding. And, you know, when I first started in the field, I was working in a center-based program for applied behavior analysis. And then I moved to Texas and I knew that we were using the verbal behavior approach. I don't know if you know Kelly Wood Rich, but she's down in Austin, Texas. And Dr. Okay, so Dr. Carbone was her um, supervisor and she was mine, but I knew we were going to be learning about that. So I read Mary Barbera's book and it was kind of this light, this aha moment for me, like, oh my gosh, okay, this makes so much sense. And I always say that, you know, our gold standard is that we want our students to actually just think about something that they want and then to be able to request it and they don't even see it, right? They're requesting it MO if we're getting like really kind of jargony. And then, you know, the other, which you guys are working on is it item, right? You see something, you want it, you're, you're learning how to initially request something. Mm-hmm. And so you, so with PEX, you're working more on understanding what the student likes and then targeting more fringe vocabulary. Is that correct? Or what are your thoughts on that, Lori? Like fringe versus, um, versus core? I have had kids where the first picture we teach them is go, because these are the kids who don't want to sit in a chair right. at a table. 
So the first picture we've taught them is go. And then later on, we'll teach them specific pictures for, well, where do you want to go? A lot of, I, I wouldn't say that I do only fringe vocabulary because that child was an example of what we would call a core word. But the vocabulary we teach early on is very, very user specific. So a lot of it does fall into the category of what we would call fringe vocabulary. Early on in the protocol, when students have mastered discriminating between pictures, mm-hmm. we're then building sentences with more of what we would call core vocabulary, like want cookie, go outside, mm-hmm. um, eat cracker, those types of phrases. So I think it's Initially, it probably is more fringe-oriented mm-hmm. for very specific needs, but we very, very quickly get into some grammar with more of the core words. Well, that's a good idea, because I think a lot of people really struggled with that, and I think that's kind of hard with with, with how I'm trying to disseminate on you know social, all the social medias and all the things, yeah. is that there really isn't some pre-package. We can provide a systematic way for people to, to work on communication to help students start communicating, initiate communication, just like PECs, especially is allowing us to. But what's hard, I think, sometimes for providers, you know, maybe they are living somewhere and there's maybe not a lot of students with autism and maybe they have one autistic student on their caseload, is that oftentimes it just does upfront take a lot of understanding what the student really loves and enjoys and that may change and or it may be limited. And so it's not it's not as easy to maybe help an autistic student because it does have to be so very individualized because every student is going to have their own things that they love and enjoy where, you know, there might be some students you know, I have a student like that right now in my caseload for ABA speech where, you know, he's very active and he's very little and he has autism. And so go might be something that we target. And but then I've had other students who seem like they don't have a lot of things that they love and enjoy. So then you're bringing things out to hope that they'll have some interest in those things. And so I think it's just hard for providers and parents sometimes to know, like, where do we even start? So I love that PEX kind of gives us that systematic structure in which to help students start communicating because it's just so hard for some students to find their voice. And so that's really, really great. So I know the other thing that we're going to talk about today is communication skills versus navigation skills for AAC devices. And can you talk to us a little bit about like maybe what the difference between those things are and kind of how that fits in um, with PECS. Back in 2011, when 60 Minutes did the uh, show on iPads with Prolo Quota Go, the very next day in some of the schools I was consulting in, well, not the next day, but very, very soon, kids started coming to school with iPads in their backpacks with parents saying, I downloaded this app, please start using it with him. And of course, we were intrigued. Of course, we looked at them. And we started trying it with several of the kids. My first frustration was, I have this child who's got a great PEC system going on right now. I don't want to abandon it and start something new. But on the other hand, I understand the importance of technology. And we are going to get to a point in this PEX book where there's lots of pictures and we need a different strategy. We need probably an electronic strategy. So I started looking at, well, what's the difference between a PEX book and an iPad with a book, uh, an AAC app on it? And what I realized was the AAC app is going to require two different things. It's going to require language skills. It's going to require that you understand want cookie or go outside. And then it's also going to, under- it's also going to require that the user understand how to navigate to the pictures. So I turn the iPad on, I open the app, I swipe or whatever. I even, I've had some kids with, I, I know mom's passcode. I'll put that in. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And then I'll open up the app and then I will start communicating. And maybe there's one picture on the home screen that will get me to a lot of others. But it's usually a multi-step sequence mm-hmm. for kids to get a message 
spoken on the device. So I worked several years ago with a speech pathologist. Her name is Joy McGowan, and she's from the Easter Seals of Southeastern Pennsylvania. She is my go-to speed dial person for anything with regard to tech. So any question I have about almost any app, she's the one I call to say, I forgot how to find this button, and she will tell me. But we started looking at the demand for kids to transition to iPads or to start on iPads. And her, she said, quite frankly, my my preference is start the kids on PECs and there's going to be a, like a sweet spot with, during at which they reach. That will be a really easy transition to a speech generating device. And what she helped me outline was, here are the skills that would be really good to have before we introduce the SGD. One of them was initiation. She said, I don't want someone to have to put the iPad in front of the child, turn it on and say, what do you want? So initiation was the first skill that she really wanted the kids to have. The next one she said was, I really want the kids to have picture discrimination under their belt because it's harder to teach discrimination on an an SGD if you're going to go the motor planning route then it's a totally different symbol set than what our kids are used to. But if you're going to go with an an app like Touch Chat or ProLoquo to Go, you're going to have to figure out how to teach picture discrimination. So her preference was initiation is mastered, picture discrimination is mastered. And she said, I'd really like the kids to have a couple of picture sentences that they can put together. So picture combinations. So that way, when they get to the iPad or the SGD putting, being put in front of them, they have so many of those skills mastered that the transition is usually really quick. Mm-hmm. So she and I worked with a number of kids over the years where that's the strategy we'll, we will go through. And it's phase four of PECs that we consider the sweet spot. That's when kids have discrimination. They know how to go find their communication partner. They know how to repair breakdowns. They can put picture sentences together. The transition for those kids is usually really, really fast. And I worked with a student last week where he was presented with the device. He figured it out on his own within the first 20 minutes. And Peck's book was done. We keep it for a backup for when Mm -hmm. mom forgets to send the iPad to school. Mm -hmm. But to me, navigating is different than communicating. Mm-hmm. And they require different skill sets. So remembering this is the six button sequence to get the device to say, I want to go outside to the swings. Mm-hmm. That's a different skill set than indicating I want to go outside to the swings. Yeah. So I always talk to people about let's get them to a certain spot within PECS and there's going to be a really rapid transition to a speech generating device if they haven't started talking. Because what we know about young kids using PECS Kids who were six and younger who were on PECs for nine months to a year, about 80% of those kids talk and aren't going to need a voice output device. That's great to know because I know that does come up a lot. It's like, okay, as a provider, where do we start? <laughs> do we start with sign? Do we start with PECs? Do we start with an AAC device? But, you know, I have a lot of different clients. I actually had one client who was older and just had a lot of complex communication needs. And I actually, what your company did um, this a while ago did, came out to Ohio and did a whole um, evaluation for the student. And the student, you know, this was a student I was working 
working with when he was 18 and he was able to use his textbook so wonderfully and he had no way to point metaphorically. That was hard for him. We eventually did shape up his point and then he was able to, he used PECs for probably 19 years of his life. It was an amazing start for him to be able to communicate because he had so many communication barriers and behavioral barriers and PECs really was his lifeline, his way to communicate with the world. And then for eight months, it sounds crazy, but for eight months, myself, the OT and his in-house worker, we worked on shaping his point. He was able to use the iPad for leisure, activating like YouTube videos. And then I wasn't able to see the student anymore. I start, kept having kid, my own kid, children. So I had to stop outpatient services. But I know that he was now able to use like a very simplistic kind of iPad application. So I think it's good to kind of hear that scope. But then I've worked with other students who were younger who are, you know, another therapist has started them on a device and you know they don't really have an understanding of what they're pointing to and just like you said it's hard for them to navigate to different folders and so i think as a provider it's very hard and i think from a speech therapist you you really want students to be able to communicate like what you're saying like you want them to be able to initiate i, I you know i have this asha approved course called help me find my voice like you know because i see it too Lori. i see students who are younger older and just are still considered early learners because they can't initiate communication so I love that idea of, you know, we're going to start here and it's a great starting point because we want our students to be able to communicate so they're not frustrated so that they can increase their communication skills. And like you said, you know, a lot of the times what's happening is these students are also probably working on verbal imitation and then are able to transition to maybe something that might be different to serve a different need. So I love that you talked about that because I know a lot of people have questions about that. (laughs) Yeah. And one of the benefits then is keeping the PECS book as a backup system. I can't tell you how often iPad comes back into class and it needs charging. Mm-hmm. So while the two hours while it's charging, we pull the old PECS book out and that child can still communicate. Yeah, I think that's so powerful because having that backup system is very, yes. very important. So it's kind of like this embedded way to get started, the systematic way to teach language. And then should something happen? Because we know with technology, you know, I remember having the old, um, I had Susan Berkowitz on, I don't know if you know her, but she um, has been working in the field about 40 years as a speech therapist too. And we were just talking about, you know, when they, we had those old school dedicated devices and, you know, somebody would break theirs and you have to send it back and then... It's like, what are you going to do, right? So like, that's kind of like a nice... Yeah, Yeah. exactly. It doesn't happen automatically. That's awesome. I love sharing that. So that's that's a really good thing to bring up because I know a lot of people have questions like, how does this all fit together? Where should I start? I'm overwhelmed. I love that. So I always end the podcast with a couple questions here. Um, What is the most... You've shared so many gems and so much great information, but what is the most important piece of advice that you would want to pass along to parents or professionals about supporting autistic students? Oh, um, I I think my advice would be listen to the kids. And I know that I don't mean listen literally because some of them aren't talking, but I can, I can come to an interaction with the child thinking I have an agenda. I have a plan. Here's what we're going to do. And maybe that's not in the child's plan that day. So I think listening to the kids, understanding what it is they need now, what it is they want now, keeping in mind my goal, but I don't want to impose a lesson on the kids. I want them to 
want to participate in the lesson with me. Oh, I love that so much. Yes, that that wanting piece, that motivation. We have to be the the reinforcement, right? We have to have them want to spend time with us. I always say that too. That's so very important is that we just, it's hard because as therapists, we have to do have to take data and things like that. But I say, this is number one. We have to build a therapeutic rapport with our clients. And, you know, we may not get our data point in for that day because we just need to build that relationship. And that needs to be most important. So the student wants to see us, right? And it's not like slamming the door and saying no speech. (laughs) And think we all had those moments. I love that so much. You have so much, uh, so many resources and so much great information. Can you tell people where to find out more about you and about your work? If you're in the U.S., go to pexusa.com. Anywhere else, a good place to start is pex.com because then you can choose the language and the country you want information about. Awesome. Okay, perfect. Really cool. And you guys have training. Do you guys have online trainings or? Yes, we're, we went all Zoom a year ago. Okay. Uh, Okay. Some of them are live and some of them are pre-recorded that you can download and take. Okay. Okay. Perfect. Because I know a lot of people like to to learn more about that. Um. Well, yes. thank you so much for joining us today and make sure to check the show notes for resources we discussed. I hope that you enjoyed the show. And if you haven't done so already, make sure to hit subscribe and write a review. I always love to see those reviews. Remember to keep things fun and functional and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Autism Outreach. If you enjoyed the show today, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode full of actionable strategies you can use in your therapy room. Write a review too. That would mean so much to me. I always love hearing from you. Have a specific topic that you want included on a future show? Reach out over on Instagram, ABA Speech by Rose, or visit me at www.abaspeech.org.